0: One of the things I know is that there's just nothing that we do think or feel that isn't there for a reason. It all makes sense once you understand what happened to me either last week or last week that referenced when I was two. So there's, there's it, it all makes sense. It all has roots inside of us. And we just need to pay attention.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the In The Lead Show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and this is episode number 15. Now, in today's episode, I talk to Susan Aiken, who is a li- licensed marriage and family therapist. She happens to be my therapist, somebody I have been talking to for a number of years. I want to say it's probably going on like five years since um, I met Susan and started doing the work in therapy. And it's been an amazing journey, at least for me. Um All of the work that we have done over the years has been profound for me and just helping me become more of the person that I've always known I could be and accepting that and developing that new relationship. And I think a lot of it has to do with the type of model, therapeutic model that Susan uses, which is called the internal family systems or IFS. And... I know for me, I think there's a lot of ways that we can use IFS. We don't have to be a therapist. We don't have to even be in therapy, but understanding the different tools and ways that IFS, you know, can help you become a better leader, become a better parent, become a better friend, just become more of that person that you've always wanted to be but for me this felt like a missing piece it was you know a, a way in which that really resonates with me and how i kind of look at the world i find that the model incorporates a lot of like eastern philosophies and it's all about just witnessing and experiencing your life um whether it's currently today in the present tense or You know, earlier in your life when you were a child and maybe went through or had experiences, had maybe traumas, uh, how to really come to terms and accept and witness all of those things I think has been extremely invaluable. And I think, again, there's a lot of tools that we can use from the IFS way of thinking into our leadership and how we lead ourselves and we lead those around us. So I hope you enjoy listening to the show today. For anybody who is new to the podcast, I'm just a little quick intro. My name is Jennifer Sang, and I am a certified coach. So I get to work with leaders, entrepreneurs, people, educators, people who are looking to develop more of their leadership presence and develop a deeper understanding of themselves in Today's episode, Susan talks about how she likes doing the deep dives. And in my coaching practice, I like to help people maybe uncover those roots. What are some of the roots that you have internally that maybe then you can take into therapy and say, these are the things that I've uncovered that I want to know more about myself. Um, And now let's go and do some deep dives in therapy and help kind of heal that. So I love the work that I do. I'm really passionate about it. If you are interested in connecting or you want to have a conversation, if you're interested in being a guest on my podcast, you can reach out to me through my website, www.coachwithinsight.com. And welcome to the show.
2: Welcome back to the In the Lead Show. My name is Jennifer Sang, and I'm here today with Susan Aiken to talk about the internal family systems, or IFS. Susan is a licensed marriage and family therapist, so welcome to the show, Susan.
0: Thank you. So fun to be here with you.
2: Yes, and why don't we start off the conversation by telling us who is Susan?
0: Wow, that's an interesting question, right? <laughs> it could go in a lot of different directions. Um, yeah, I guess I, I like to think of myself as a being. <laughs> yeah, been on the planet for a while and uh, always been sort of a seeker. If I was gonna say probably the number one thing about me is I've always sort of tuned in and seeking for truths and wisdoms and things that can uh, help me in coping with life. And I've done that in various ways over the years. Um, and I would say that, um, you know, one of the things I would say about myself is I'm, I'm a relationship person. I like my relationships. I really honor what comes up and happens in them. Um, I use it as my work often. And I have a lot of them because I have four children. <laughs> and a <husband>. Many, many. <laughs> and lots of friends. Yeah. So, uh,
2: yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I definitely appreciate all of the wisdom that I always... Find when we have our conversation. So I'm excited to share that with the uh, listeners today. And so I wanted to focus our conversation today on the internal family systems or IFS. And you and I have been working together in that space for you know a number of years. And I find the model just so fascinating. And I know that it's had a profound effect on me just in my personal life and some of the things that I've been going through and how I've kind of developed my own kind of leadership sense over the years. And I would love to hear from you about your take on what is internal family systems.
0: Yeah, I discovered internal family systems as a therapeutic model, uh, probably four or five years ago. I've been in there, a therapist for over 30 years, but I have always been curious um, about different models. And I came across this one and really liked it. And I did a deep dive into it. Um, because it rang true and made so much sense to me. So it stands for internal family systems. We just say IFS. And it was developed by uh, a guy named Dick Schwartz, who was um, actually graduated from school probably around the same era that I did um, and was deeply schooled in what we call family therapy, systems family therapy, where you... You know, he, I'll tell what he, his story about that a little in a minute. But he you look at, you know, each individual's issues as connected to the system, the family system that they grew up in, the family system that they're connected to and work with the system to help the issues resolve of the individual. Um, and it was very pretty much predominant for uh, as um, what schools taught and as trained therapists to do for quite a while. Um, so Dick came out of his training and his, his uh, work in learning about systems family. He, he's, oh boy, I'm going to get a chance to really dive into this. And he started his clinical work. Um, and he found that um, he was dealing with a population that had pretty serious issues eating disorders suicidality and there were some you know heavy duty stuff and he got to, got to work with his his systems implementations and in, uh, interventions and nothing changed so he was a little bit disillusioned by that it's like mm, why isn't why isn't this effect, affecting this population or why isn't it effective so he started to kind of step take a step back this is part i really love he took a step back instead of saying there's something wrong with them, he said, what do I not know? You know, what, what, what can I learn from these folks? And he got really curious about uh, about them and what they were saying to him. And he began to listen without an agenda, you know, to really hear what, what they were saying to inform him about the kind of work that, that he might be able to do for them. And as he listened to them, he started hearing them talk from part talk about parts of them, parts, and he thought that's so interesting. Parts, and so he opened up more curiosity and a bigger, you know, brought his intelligence and his um, wisdom. And he realized that people began to explain to him his clients that they there were parts of them that were activated and active and were actually doing a lot of the behaviors that were the issues of someone who has an eating disorder or suicidality, um, cutting, all those really kind of serious things. Um, So that that was fascinating to him and he began to hear, listen to himself and he realized he had parts too. And so he thought, okay, so maybe what's true is that inside of us, there is also a system instead of just the outside family system Maybe there's also a parts system of, of parts in here, like little people or family members that are, are interacting and relating and and uh, doing work together inside. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how he came up with the, the, the name Internal Family Systems. So he began to categorize what he, you know, over time, listening to clients, categorize kinds of parts that he was hearing from. Mm-hmm. And he began to create, you know, little clumps. So this sounds like a, a protector or a manager. Oh, this sounds like maybe something one step up from that. That's got more energy and more urgency. And that's a firefighter. And, um and that, and then all of a sudden one day he was talking to somebody and he asked her, I think it was her, what part is that? And she said, oh, that's not a part. That's me. Mm-hmm. And. He got very curious about that. So what is, what is the me that you're talking about? And that's how he began to experience this really unique um, uh, construct about every human being that inside there is a self that is not a part. It's not a manager. You know, it's not a firefighter. It's not a protector. And it's, it's also not wounded. And it's in there. And it has these um, qualities of calmness and compassion and creativity and wisdom, intuition, clarity, connectedness. He developed a, a three, eight C's or seven C's. I never get them all. Um, that really were the one. The that was the the part or the energy inside the field of energy inside that really could heal. And help the parts that he had thus far discovered. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. It's very I, I love when you describe it because it helps me. I mean, I've been doing this for so many years, but it helps me kind of remind myself and put it back into context. And if I were maybe to boil it up for people who maybe don't have a grasp of, you know, parts and all these different layers, I almost look at it like ego. Like a lot of us kind of talk about ego and kind of know ego's like this big part in us, right? That Most people are saying, we need to get rid of it, or we need to silence it, or we need to, I mean, do some pretty harsh things internally, right, to it. But I feel like it's taking that ego and, like, breaking it down into pieces. Like, ego is not just one thing. It's maybe a collection of, like you said, many different parts. Like, maybe inner critic. Maybe you have a really strong, like, judge that's always criticizing you in some way. Or maybe you have more of a victim-type part. I mean, there's all these little parts that mm-hmm. are, kind of make up of that big to me ego always feels too broad and too um yeah just too broad like I, I can't tangibly like put my finger on it but when you say parts that makes all the sense to me because even in everyday language i don't think people realize it but they'll say like you know part of me really wanted to do this yeah. but another part said no i don't think so so we're already kind of talking and using that language and identifying it i just don't know if we're really internalizing it and then putting it maybe into practice to kind of help you see how all these things play together and what their story is and where they come from, all of those things.
0: Well, it kind of brings up uh, the question of why do we have parts? Mm -hmm. And I think that's also part of the explanation that people um, can understand and know and, and helps make sense of the whole model which is that when we're very young and uh, from the get-go, out of the gate, so to speak, we're very, very vulnerable and very dependent on uh, our caretakers to uh, keep us safe and bond with us and hold and nurture and care for. And we are so connected to those people that whatever we have to do to stay connected, we will do. Because it's life or death at that very, very um, young level, young age, um, and and so why if you know, so that sets us up to have these moments of stress. They're little, they're not trauma in the way that we think of trauma as like big idea trauma, but they're stressful to the child from the child's perspective. They're little traumas. They, or they can be big, but most people have uh, uh, many little moments where their needs are not met, or they get in trouble for being who they are, or they discover that this aspect of them is, you know, not part of the family tribe. Mm-hmm. So they, um, they will exile that part and um, they'll, who exiles the part, not the self. So a manager will come up and say, wait a minute, This, when when we act this way, when we do this thing, when this happens, we, we feel bad. We feel shame, guilt, sadness, abandonment, aloneness. So I'm going to stick you over here in the corner. I'm going to exile you with those feelings. And I'm going to begin to manage the environment and manage you, try to keep you quiet than the pain so I don't have to live in that. And I'm going to manage, figure out a tool, pick up a tool that I know will help us to stay safer. And that's how, over time, our parts develop. They pick up tools that they see that our environment, often in the environment, that's already there, yelling or shaming or crying or helplessness or fear and and they use it to try and manage their environment so that they 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 their core is safe they feel safe
2: yeah it feels like safety's at the core right that's what their purpose and intention is to do is to keep you safe even though as especially we progress to adulthood right those same strategies may no longer work right and i think that's where we see a lot of kind of this friction with people is that we're still caring those methods, those ways of protecting ourselves, even though in that moment, it kept us safe and it did its job, right? But fast forward 30 years from now, it may not be doing that same job anymore. And then we turn towards it more like angry at it, right? And we even throw more shame on it, right? And we even throw more guilt, like, why am I like this? You know, I yes. need to stop this. Um, so it feels like this really vicious kind of like cycle of how we just reinforce
0: that shame. Yeah, no. that, that's well said yeah and, um, because also part of the ifs system is understanding that we um our parts have worked hard and are dedicated and are really um deserving of our of our compassion our respect and our gratitude mm-hmm. and um yeah that came also there's a story connected to that i think it's important from dick schwartz's early work where he was working with a woman who uh was a big cutter and would do that to release tension and whatever stress that was building up in her so she did some pretty serious cutting and he decided one day that he was talking to part. he knew about parts so far you know mm-hmm. and he, he wanted to talk the part out of and, and make it agree that cut make it agree to never do that again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and So they spent, he says, quite a bit of time in dialogue with the part um, trying to get this agreement and it wore, wear it down to where it would agree. Yeah, cutting is not good. I'm not going to do it anymore. You know, such an obvious thing that you'd want someone to, to get to. So he felt quite victorious. They agreed. She left. She came back the next session and had a huge cut that she created on her face. Mm. So in a worse way. So at that point, he threw up his hands. He said, I give up. I I give up. I'm not going to win. And the part said, I don't want to win. You know, I don't want, I want to, I, I'm here because I feel like I need to be here and start, you know, there's a new dialogue. So he learned from that. You have to be friend parts. You have to get to know them, that they need as much attention as the exiled parts of us do, and that they are uh, gatekeepers. They are gatekeepers for what's most vulnerable and what needs to be held secret inside in a very... Um, vulnerable way you know because it doesn't feel safe and never felt safe to be fully who you are so those that that's a story about that that you know you, you really we have to learn how to befriend those parts of us we may not like that make us angry or we wish would go away or we don't want anymore and they're not going anywhere and yeah where are they going to go yeah. <laughs> they're you <Yeah>. i mean <laughs> and yet they have these wonderful gifts That once in the protocol of IFS, where you actually go in and do some of the work and you shift, you know, you're able to, to help them unburden or feel safer connected to part of the committee sitting at the board table, you know, you're the CEO and they're coming to help you and collaborate. Then that begins to, um, really change kind of the, all the, um, the workings and the relationships and the access to everything that's you inside.
2: I love, I love the way that you put it. And also the way that this model kind of approaches it, because I, I feel like that feels at least for me, the, the best for me, meaning it's not something I'm trying to win. It's not a battle. It's not something I need to conquer. It's not something I need to annihilate or destroy and just get rid of. It's more of, how do we all work better together? And like you said, you're the CEO. You're the one kind of driving the bus is my you know, metaphor that I always use is I'm driving the bus. Kids are in the back, right? They're not taking over. Um, but that friendliness, that, and I think in our work together, and I know you know this, that that's where I feel like I've had to come the furthest is because I myself have had problems with there's this part of me and I don't like it. And I don't like it because it's caused me pain. I've yeah. lost things because of it. It's caused me heartache or whatever. And I would have this disdain for it. Like, oh, I just don't want it. But as you do more work with it and you learn its story, right? Where did it come from? What is it trying to do for you? It changes that whole perspective. And now it feels more like like a partnership and not like this we're always battling. Because for me, it felt like it almost fueled my anxiety. That fueled my just inner conflict where... It exacerbated everything so much where now it just feels so much more calm where it's like we can have those CEO boardroom discussions, right? Where it's not feeling like we have to like fight or really struggle to get there. So it, my point in all that is it feels like a journey and it feels like it is this kind of friendlier approach, befriending yourself all over again in all parts Yes, of yourself is yes. what it really yeah. feels like to me at the core Um, another thing I want to just touch on real quick that I think is so important that you said is understanding trauma, because that's another thing I had to really wrap my head around is like, trauma isn't just the big stuff, right? The really big events that we all think of as being trauma, but it's all the little things. And I like how you said, just when your needs weren't met, like, let's say you, you wanted something, you were hungry and your, your mother turned around and slapped you or yelled at you. Right. And said, shut up. Right. Like, That is a little tiny, like micro trauma that stays with you. And over time, as it maybe happens over and over again, you probably develop a part to how, oh, in that moment, can I give me what I need and protect myself so that I don't feel this pain. And the last thing I want to just say real quick, because I know there's probably people out there, parents, we're not saying that there's anything wrong with you or, you, you know, you messed up your kids or, you know, I think that's another thing. I had to kind of come to terms with, it's not about blaming or it's not about wanting someone or seeking some kind of forgiveness. It's really just feels like understanding, just Mm. having a deeper understanding of what happened. And by doing that, it opens the door for compassion. It opens the door for that Mm. kind of natural empathy and forgiveness, not, you know what I mean? Because I feel like some people can interpret it that way as like, oh, You know, you're putting all the blame on me. I'm sorry. I did the best I could, and it's not about that. I
0: don't know. I think it's it's one of the things I constantly deal with with people, uh, clients in my practice, is that it's hard for people to not feel guilty when they have their own kids. Like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And I just say, don't worry, you're going to do it, no matter what. It's (laughs) sort of. I use the F, but I won't hear. your kids, it's just part of the game, um, and the other thing is being uh, putting aside the guilt of looking at their own parents' childhood through the lens of what it was like for me as that child. Instead of, well, they, they, I had a great child. So many people will say to me, "I had a great childhood." I hear that so many times. And I think it's true. You did. You had a great childhood. And what was it like to be you in those moments where your needs were not met? That's, it's not, your parent may not even known, you know, Mm -hmm. may not be aware. And it doesn't have to be blamed. It is about compassion for, and compassion for that little being, that a, a micro, what we would call micro trauma in the big scheme of things at that age, at those tender years in the beginning is a big deal. You know, and when we go back and in, in the work and we revisit that, we can feel what a big deal was to that child. That's part of the healing of it, you know, and part of the, of what was needed, re- reclaiming what was needed back in that time and, and was not, didn't, we didn't get
2: for whatever reason, right? Like you said. And uh, yeah, another thing that's coming up for me that feels very strong is the power of witnessing. Because I feel like, and I feel like a lot of us try to avoid that, maybe because it's uncomfortable, or it's painful, or whatever it is. But I feel like that's a big part of the journey too, is just going back and seeing it. And like you said, really experiencing what it was like to be that child who didn't get their needs met, and again in that feels like that's where that doorway of compassion kind of opens and it, it it's what i'm saying is it feels like by doing that work and getting really nuanced and kind of understanding and witnessing it naturally brings this feeling of empathy and compassion and all these things that we're always searching for especially as leaders especially in organizations we talk about that a lot but i, I don't feel like we do it enough i don't know that's just
0: my take. Yes, I really, really like that. It's it's it has been spoken of so many times in so many ways as you're saying that I'm 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 remembering some of the old adages um about, you know, walk a mile in my shoes, you know, blah blah blah. There's many, many sayings that have been developed over the years to try and describe that. And I love the doorway of compassion that you talk about that comes from really witnessing. And, uh yeah, I think compassion is huge, huge in our healing of the planet and in, in our workplaces, in our families, in our personal relationships. I mean, yes. Yeah. To- really open that doorway of compassion to that means really getting it you know what it was really like in my own work in ifs which i've done you know i've gone back to memories uh i had of things that i knew about but was really uh, they were like a like a uh photograph they were kind of flat you know and they might even some of them were family jokes you know they were ha ha family. Um and I go back in the work and be be there, walk in. It was an amazing thing that we actually can do in visualization and and um go back in time in our in our inner system and be there in a very real way. And the, the feelings that I didn't know were there. I had no idea, you know, how deep a feeler I was at that age. And and as we are, as I've come to realize, we're all deep feelers at that young age. That's what we are. And so, yeah, it's, it's the compassion for self that I got from that is also something I can bring forward into my relationships with other people, and it's made a tremendous difference.
2: Yeah, and that's the other thing I was thinking as you were talking was it feels like as like a leader, if you understand your parts and you understand your system, you can then start to extend that and also see kind of parts in other people. And that's what I feel like I I look at now when I see conflict of any kind or somebody speaking up and really angry. It's like, I identify that as a part. I say, oh, okay. That's a part that's coming up right now. And that also helps me kind of create that space. So it doesn't feel like the parts need to battle. There's no like conquering and who's going to, but it's more of that self perspective going, oh yeah. Okay. I noticed that part and it feels easier for me to kind of stay in kind of self mode and not let the kids take over the bus but by just you know really noticing what's going on in you i've noticed that it helps you see that in yep. others and in turn creates better relationships and just oh, better yeah. interactions
0: amazing i mean there's there's uh yes i love that because i've got parts in my bus that will run you over if they <laughs> it's like okay i'm coming to get you yeah. uh, you know that when we react when our when we're not aware that our parts are reactive and of course that's an that's a neuro that's a neurophysiological experience to get triggered to feel that to have that rising up of emotion and reactivity when we're not aware of that then those parts are in action and they take over and they're they've got a job they know how to do it and away we go um and often uh, what i say is our PARs, our protectors they're not relational they don't care about the other person they only care about safety and vulnerability and whatever it takes to make sure that that happens that i'm safe if it means winning if it means you know shooting you down if it means criticizing whatever it just it's going to be they don't care about you they care about me And I think in leadership, you know, when you mention leadership, if you and I know people all have this experience and I've worked in Silicon Valley for so many years. And I have time and time again listened to my clients who work in companies come in and have incredible trauma around one manager who is so unaware of parts and what they're doing. And not, and they're not in self. They're not in that that essence of who they are as a human being at the best and highest level. You know, they're in a part because they've gotten activated. And I've seen tremendous trauma ensue from just one person in at some management level in a company. Um, and and of course, the juice for the client is uh, accessing their parts. And realizing what's got it getting triggered in response to that manager or that person uh in the workplace. Such a helpful thing to be able to untie that knot, you know, and and come into some place where you understand and feel compassion for them and you. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, that's such a great point. And I know there are a couple of people that I, I coach that have what I always refer to as PTSD, but it's Again, those micro traumas and probably an environment that was very toxic. And they may not have even realized it. Like maybe their parts were activated and protecting them in some way. And, but then they leave that position and they're like, why do I still feel this way? I still feel almost like I'm back. I'm in that situation, even though I'm not. And they're noticing, like, oh my gosh, like I was going through trauma all of those years or however long you were in that situation. And it really affects people and it lingers with them for can be years you know um
0: yeah, yeah. be very traumatic it's so yeah. threatening the whole place is such a family you know i mean it's just so hierarchical and there's so much power differential and so much of that in the you know the the trees of whatever you call those things in companies you know the tree of responsibility or, or what are they organizational
2: organization org, well, org charts we have racy you know roles and responsibility yeah all kinds of yeah which
0: it all makes perfect sense but if you have somebody in there who is really um you know triggered by power use of power or fear or so many other things then it 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 starts to trickle down it can trickle down all the way from the top i've seen that over the years in silicon valley well, they can
2: also erode the foundation, which I'm also a big believer, which is why with this podcast, I want it to be for everyday people, not just managers, executives, but what can, like for me, what can I do to impact um, in a positive way, the psychological safety of people on my team, people I come in contact with, because you can have the trickle down, all the fear, control, um, narcissism. Right. But if you have somebody on the team who is very toxic, who's very narcissistic, who and I've come across that many times. And that, more than anything, will destroy the culture, the safety, the well-being of the entire collective, the team. Yes. But, it takes but one. organizational just takes one. And it can only even take one time. But organizational charts support business. They don't support people. They don't support the systems right. that actually support the business. And then we see. Just continued dysfunction, right? Because of all those layers and the, the power struggles and who's going to get on top and what do you have to do, like cutthroat, all of that is to say that it is damaging our organizations and our people and yes. you know, significantly. Jenna,
0: yes. And I, I love your vision of doing something about that. I mean, I just even, we've talked about it before, but today it really strikes me. Um, especially that that I'm just excited for you to be out in the world and doing, you know, thinking about what can I do? How can we help? How can we change things? So what comes to my mind is right. At, at the human level, there's some really basic things that people need in order to feel okay. They need to feel like they have, they belong. You know, we're talking about, you know, um, we go back to Freud and, and his era, uh, back into the very first ideas about psychology. And the one that makes the most sense to me is from Alfred Adler, who was, doesn't even really he has some of a following, but he died young. And his belief was not that we're motivated by the Oedipus complex or the this or the that, but that we're really, all human beings are driven by the need to feel a sense of belonging. Yeah. And that they're significant. And that they have a place, and that all behavior is striving to meet those goals. So when you translate that back into um, the workplace, and you're you're aware that you have a you know a group of people that you're in, you're working with or in management, even if you're just working with them, there's a, those simple things that give people the cues that they're seeing, yeah. that you heard them. That you like them, you know that you're they're welcoming of them, and it's quite the opposite of being vigilant about who's around you. It's like, oh, hi, <laughs> right and that there is um that right there, just that is a way to change um the atmosphere, yeah, I agree
2: and and that's the message I try to get across to people, even now in my role in my capacity is saying every person that I come in contact today, I want them to leave better than when they came into my presence. So whatever that is to help them feel calmer, to help them feel less stressed, to help them maybe work through a problem. But that is my intention and my goal. And I hope that that I believe in the ripple effect. So can we make change and support one another at that level? But I want to go back to belonging real quick first, because I feel like that is extremely key. Cause I know that was a big epiphany for me at one point feeling like that's one of my big threads in just my own journey is that deep sense of belonging. And what I've found is that through our work with the parts is that as I've gotten to know my own parts and I've developed that cultivated that belonging internally, I, I feel like it, it's almost extended out. Like I'm not seeking to fit in. I'm seeking to belong with me and fully with my parts by doing that. I am also belonging as a collective. Does that make sense? It feels like there's this self part that kind of
0: totally makes sense. It's like a very, um, well, you know, the, in the, in the Buddhist tradition and some of the other Eastern they talk about being one, we are one and and native American, we are one, we're all connected. So I think when you, when you land in that place where you're know you belong with you, you know, you have that sense of, connection to yourself and you belong with you. I belong right here. You belong, you know, that you you can feel that about everybody. And when you're not in that place, you don't, you feel alone and isolated, right? Mm -hmm. As you know, I've come, I'm doing a working work away from home um, experience that I've told you about. And um, so I'm, I'm traveling by myself. I'm here for three weeks altogether. I'll, I'll have company eventually, but um when I first got here, I was so in such a that place of you know just just and I remember standing out on the balcony here i 'm in Hawaii, so it's um, <laughs> not a bad place to be isolated kind <laughs> this connection I could feel it I, I looked around, I saw every i could feel you know see the people and feel the people in the condo complex, and I felt connected to every one of them even though i don't know them and i thought oh interesting i'm so comfortable you know i feel so connected and like i belong even though i'm not here with anybody it's weird yeah no
2: i love it that's so beautiful because i think a lot of people think of belonging as like fitting in and yeah. i need to change who i am to align with this group of people so that they accept me right they like me but if you were just being who you are, like if that self is coming forward, it feels like people by default are just going to like you because yes. it, who doesn't like, you know, when all if all the selves are present, we're all going to love each other and so I feel like that's at least from my perspective that feels like the work is like how do I get the parts maybe to quiet the noise a little bit, kind of take a back seat, right? Know that they're there, have a friendly relationship with them, can call on them at any time but I'm in front, I'm driving the bus. Right. And if yeah. I'm driving the bus, I feel like people are just naturally going to connect with that. And you're naturally going to connect with others and you don't need to fit in. You can, uh, you fit in anywhere,
0: right? Like, cause you're just you.
2: Yeah. You
0: know, there've been other times here where, you know, my parts have acted up and I felt like, Ooh, what am, you know, who's here and where am I going to have dinner if I want to go out and I'm all alone, you know. And then there's, uh, especially around dinner, you know, eating alone, out. Um, and then there have been other times, like last night, I went over to Mama's Fish House, which we talked about. And I sat at the bar and had, you know, I, I felt like I belonged. I mean, I had this wonderful conversation with the two bartenders, um, uh, she and a he, that I don't know, but we, I just felt great. You know, it's like so that, that bringing, when you're in that energy and you bring it, people get it. And they respond. Um, But it's not about being in that energy all the time either. I mean, I think we have to really love all of it. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be days where we just feel, you know, overwhelmed by uh, a reaction, a thought, a person, a child, you know, um, a job and uh, that it's, it's Okay. It's okay to not be perfectly in that centered, 100% centered self place, you know, that we're, it's a continuum.
2: And I think that's also been a big shift I've seen in my own life is accepting that, right? Like accepting those days where I'm like, I just feel crummy. I'm just not in a good mood. Maybe I need to go take a nap or I figure out self-care things, right. That I need to do to support myself. But Yeah, just accepting, like, "Ah, I don't feel good. And what I've noticed is that the more I do that, the faster I actually move through whatever's kind of coming up and I can shift more easily and more quickly back instead of like getting into a rut, right? And letting it kind of consume you maybe for a few weeks. Now it might just consume you for a few hours or a couple of days. Um, But I feel like that acceptance part is so critical, at least for me. I've noticed it's been absolutely building that resilience, it feels like resilience. Like that is accepting it, processing it, letting it flow through you. And then you're out on the other side, right? And things are
0: different. So I think it's just, yeah, I think acceptance is a big. It's huge. huge. I think of it in terms of uh, waves and that when you're standing in front of a wave, if you're at the ocean and it slams into you, you know, it knocks you around. And it's not wanted, it did send you places you didn't want to go and you might end up with sand in your mouth or, you know, on your butt on the, in the beach. But if you if you appreciate with the wave itself, you can ride the wave, you know, and that's a different experience. You can even dive under the wave and, and come up on the other side. So, yeah, I think it's it's big acceptance that I'm going to have. For me, it's like, I know I'm a deeply feeling person. I'm just a real sensitive bug, you know, and that means I'm going to respond to things in a sensitive way. And knowing that about myself and loving that about myself, accepting when I get reactive or a part of me just comes up and, you know, has a mood. <laughs> a mood. I love it. I'm going to use that from now on. I'm having a mood. I'm a mood. And I, I can say to myself it's okay i'm having a mood you know hi what's wrong with that yeah <laughs> i know you well. welcome back <laughs> um
2: yeah but I, and again even just as we're talking right it's that again that friendlier experience right where i know i think you're the one who gave this to me resistance equals persistence and i feel like the more that i resist something no i don't want to feel this way oh i gotta make myself feel better oh, like it persists right? It continues. But the moment I could just go, okay, hi, like, I know this well, you're back. How's it going? Like, just have that friendly kind of noticing in conversation with myself, I feel like helps kind of get me again under that wave and I can come out the other side where I'm not resisting it so much, which I know for myself that's been a problem. I see it with others where it's like, we really wanna, or,
0: or why do I feel this way? I don't wanna, oh.
2: like, how can we just kind of surrender to it and just, okay, yeah, I'm feeling bad. What can I do about it now? Yeah. What, yeah. What do we need? What work
0: do we need to do? Yeah. Yeah. I know a couple of things come to mind here. It's like, we need to stop making ourselves a self-improvement project. Yes. Amen. Because that means, you know, we're constantly struggling. Uh, that's one thing. And, um, I had another thought that went away because I'm watching a surfer right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it, it's
2: painful being in Hawaii. Yeah.
0: Apropos, apropos. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. The other thing is, um, yeah, what we resist persists. So I was thinking about childbirth. And the, um, back in my day, you know, the, everybody was doing uh, the Bradley Method or Lamaze. And there was this anti-drug thing going on with pregnant women. <laughs> I got over it really quickly, but well, I, I had I had a number of births and my second birth, I had really tuned into the Bradley method. I really loved it. It was about relaxing around the contraction. Mm-hmm. So it didn't, re, you know, you did not hoo-hoo and ha-ha, the Lamaze I thought was so stupid. Oh, wow offended everybody but for me it was like nod and hoo-hoo and I tried it it just didn't work didn't do anything but when mm. I relaxed so here comes a great big wave of contraction and for some reason my I was able to do that mm. relax around it it was like the pain was so much less mm. it was amazing how relaxing as the pain came allowed it to come and go without any tension in my body which added to the pain so that's one of the that's a great metaphor right for what you're saying as as a way where trigger comes a, a mood comes a feeling comes realizing that if you can not resist and tense around it and try to figure it out and improve yourself and oh my gosh i've gotta i better sit and meditate or i better do this or i better listen to a podcast or i better do sorry this or that (laughs) like we can just relax into it and say here you are Mm -hmm. on i'm here with you and it comes and it goes yeah
2: It really does. And it ebbs and flows a lot. And I mean, obviously, you know, my journey too, but I see that a lot where it's like, I get into these like cycles where I'm like, just not feeling a hundred percent. And I'm just feeling kind of, uh, you know, maybe malaise or just feeling like indifferent or upset, but it's like, okay, I feel that way. It's not like I'm saying I must feel better. I must, I have to do something. It's just like, okay. And, and I think for me, it's been easier just because I naturally kind of just, I think, just kind of fall into those kinds of behaviors. But I feel like I see a lot, especially with high achievers or people yeah. who really are big pleasers, right? They're like, oh no, I must like do better. I must be stronger. I must. And I just wonder how much that might be fueling kind of that resistance to help kind of keep you stuck. If people are talking about, it, I feel stuck. Maybe that's one of the things to take a look at is what are you resisting around you or what, whatever's coming up?
0: Yes. Well, yeah, and, and that's also a part. I, I know I've got a, um, a part that wants to immediately, always, when I have something that's not this Zen thing, it says, why am I feeling this way? it's it's a habit I, that part always has that question and i've gotten to where i can hear it now and remember i we, who knows we can find that out if we want to but you know we don't have to that's not that's not what the part it's not what the feeling needs you can even look at it like that by asking why do i feel this way it takes me into a mental space instead of a calming nurturing space Toward whatever part of me is holding that feeling um so i think yeah i and the self-improvement thing too and i think those are parts that are trying to help with the pain they're not liking that something's hurtful hurting mm-hmm. and they want to come in and and direct it you know and manage it, which is what manager protectors do um, well
2: and i think self-improvement for me at least it implies there's something wrong or there's a flaw of some kind so and also as you were talking i was that friendliness was coming back up for me it was like it's not this like again conquer i need to figure it out it's about just being friendly with it and also when we ask the question why i know this is a big trigger for me that immediately sends me into defensive anytime you frame something cuz it says to me there's something wrong with me or i did something why why are you feeling this way why did you do that right there's some implication to me that says oh you did something wrong or you're bad or you're flawed yeah. so i don't even like to phrase why questions to myself because it feels again less friendly and less like a partnership
0: yes yeah well you know and it's it's actually that that idea that there's something wrong with me is an indication that it's a part and it's a young part you know because that's the first question we really ask ourselves when we don't get what we need when we're children, or we say about ourselves before we verbal, you know, there's something wrong with me. I'm the one with the problem. And again, taking that back into the workplace in a hierarchy, that's that's often also what's happening is this I'm the flawed one, even though I'm working for this crazy person, you know, that's really narcissistic or grandiose or whatever. And it's me you know, it's, it's the problem, which is, is just parts getting activated by the same kind of dynamic um, of child parent. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most untalked about thing in corporations. I agree. I totally agree. Um, uh,
2: I see that dynamic, though, a lot. And even in just the way we have conversations with one another, a lot of it feels parental. And you're like, course, for somebody like me, who's always railed against that parental energy, but it's like, really, like, yeah, it makes me feel invisible. It makes me feel like I lack self-worth. I I have no self-worth and like, I'm not visible because now you're talking to me like I'm a child and I don't even think people recognize it. It's, it's wild to me. I mean, I see it, but I don't think a lot of people do And it. I think that's one of the hidden traumas i think that are going on on a daily basis
0: where do you think that 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 permission is given to talk that way in the well i think it goes back to organizational
2: structures right again it's built for businesses not built for people so it you feel like okay my vice president is talking to me like this i guess they have authority to do that um i i must have done something wrong like there's a lot of shifting with accountability. There's a lot of shifting and blaming. Um, especially when things go wrong. Their hearts are getting activated, right? And they are unleashing that on people. But I think it's part of that hierarchy, right? Of me feeling like, Oh, you're my superior. So I guess again, like a parent, what you say must be true. What you what you think of me or whatever your perception is, that must be true. And Thanks. So I feel like it's, it's part of that hierarchy and it's, a, and I think we're just conditioned to believe that. And especially if you've been in a traumatizing situation where you may not want to challenge that, right? Because that was unsafe. Right. Or, um, so I feel like all of that kind of breed kind of cultivates this whole sense of basically unsafe psychological or psychologically unsafe work environments because yeah. of that power struggle. Um, And also what I've seen a lot, Susan, and I I don't know if I've told you this, but I'll be frank. I mean, back to the business is I feel like we reward and incentivize. we have incentives to people to advance their career based on those business results, not based on they treat people. So I've come across a few people in my career where they were extremely narcissistic, extremely toxic. I mean, really, really bad, actually. I mean, really bad. And they were promoted. They were, you know, continued to move up the chain. And as you see that, think, oh, my gosh, that is traumatizing. I mean, I was basically a victim of this person's, you know, negative treatment. And now they're being rewarded for it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Like, what does that do to people? And then they feel like, wow, I can't can't speak up. My executives are the ones who promoted this person. I can't go to them and say, hey, this person is, they don't want to hear it. Or it's like, oh, we'll do some coaching, you know. But like, okay. uh, and, do- and that obviously really grates against me being a coach myself. Is like, okay, that's not how we handle situations. But yeah, I and I don't think there's enough courage in the workplace to, first of all, allow people to speak their truth, and also to hold people accountable. Um, I just really don't see it, to be perfectly honest. And I hear it from every a lot of others in yeah. other companies. It's there isn't enough accountability and courage and focus on how we treat people. It's about what innovation not, can you.
0: Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's very relational. So it's not, it's uh, the missing link there is, you know, companies are a lot more successful if they're relational that you don't have to be that way in order to be a successful company. Uh I know I I had a client once who worked for a company where the whole emphasis was on creativity and uh, relational acceptance and humanness and uh, humanitarianism. And and it was highly successful. People love working at a place like that because they don't feel invisible like you felt. They they know they have a sense of belonging and they have a sense of um, value. Uh, and it isn't it, the bottom line takes care of itself you know it isn't it isn't about being mean to people or treating them like they're lesser and um, being parental or being authoritarian you know it's a, it's a shame it's a shame yeah. it doesn't have to be that way it really
2: doesn't and yeah it is a, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is always like wow that's just too bad but you know and I, and what it comes down to honestly my gut feeling tells me it's the courageous piece and it's the lack of understanding of their own parts and how they're showing up every day and that lack of kind of self-management self-regulation self-awareness um to see how they're impacting their employees their customers or stakeholders whoever we just don't have a grasp on that. And we try in corporate America. There's lots of little check the box things that we all do and it's fun, but it's not really, it doesn't really have an impact. Like I think it's intended to, and I feel like how do we get to people and help them figure out ways to identify, regulate, manage themselves better? I feel like that would help. And that's where kind of the IFS comes in. So maybe my next question would be, how would you, what advice would you give Somebody who's either in management or not, just a leader who wants to kind of develop more of the IFS principles, but maybe they're obviously not immersed in it or doing a ton of work in it. But is there maybe a couple things they can take away and things they can start doing? Our talk to be a better leader, yeah. From from here to today, from like,
0: um. Well, I think yeah. I think just the idea that. Couple of things. One is the idea that we're not just one thing inside; that we we all are made up of these little parts that are reactive. People can watch uh, Inside Out if they want to get a clearer view of that. It's a it's a Pixar movie that really does use um, the model of parts at its core, and it's really a sweet little movie. So I think that alone, you know, I'm not just. Sometimes we over identify ourselves with one role or part of us over another. And then we get really dedicated to staying in that role, you know, whatever it is. Like I am the boss. What does that mean? It means I, you know, I tell you what you did wrong and I, you know, do your quarterly evaluation and whatever that means, the boss. So, you know, we're not just one thing. I have a part of me that can be the boss or be a leader, take take charge. And while I'm doing that, can I also remember uh, my humanness and bring self energy to that? So I think knowing that we, you know, we're all over identified with one thing or another um, role as a worker, a parent, a spouse, a you know, and there's more to us than any one role. There's a lot going on in here. As one, the other thing is start tuning in. You know, start getting quiet and listening for people who have trauma it's really hard to sit still and listen and drop in so and i can address that by saying there's apps and there's programs and there's youtubes and there's all kinds of ways guided meditations and etc that you can that you can use to figure out how to be quiet and drop in and and start listening to your parts or to start just getting to know what's in here um And when we start to do that, then we can begin to hear the voices. An Inner critic is a very, very common part that, you know, you can take a whole, we did a whole course on inner critic in the block I'm helping in the IFS uh, class I'm teaching with a couple of co-workers. Um, Inner critic and shame and guilt are such common things and start listening, start being curious about why you do this or why you do that. And if that's a, uh, something you learned as a defense mechanism, there, there are ways that we all defend ourselves, um, and have learned and we do it over and over again, even when it doesn't work. Yeah. You know Um, and, um, of course there's the, this age of, um, the internet and the availability for learning is amazing. So take an IFS course, you know, learn some, there's all kinds of things and you maybe can direct people um, mm-hmm. specifically to places you've been or to what you would recommend, but there's audio books and there's uh, YouTube videos and there's online talks that you can access. Um, some of them are free, some of them you pay for, but Uh, there's so many resources to help you. I think curiosity about yourself is probably the biggest thing. You know, it's like, I'm curious to know how, why I do that. I'm curious to know why I yelled at that person today or why I continually hate that person. You know, Mm. I'm curious about what, what, what is that for me? Why am I, why is that there? And right away, When you step into curiosity, you're separate from it. You're looking at it. You're the observer of it. And you can start to investigate. One of the things I know is that there's just nothing that we do think or feel that isn't there for a reason. It all makes sense once you understand what happened to me either last week or last week that referenced when I was two. So there's, there's, it it all makes sense. It all has roots inside of us and we just need to pay attention. So I think that's, that's that. I
2: love that you brought up curiosity though, because that for me feels like it's kind of at the foundation of everything that we've talked about and all of the work in IFS, right? Is being really curious and just starting to notice what's happening, like what's coming up for you, how you're interacting, but noticing again, in a friendly way, it's not a, why are you doing this? Or you shouldn't do that. But it's more, okay, I see myself in this situation. This is how I reacted. Okay. Now, now what? Like, or what do you have to tell me? Or what, you know, but again, just getting very curious with it in that open, friendly way that builds that partnership, um, just to give you more Kind of insight, and just to get you a little bit deeper connected internally to understand yourself just a little bit better. And I just noticed again, for me, I can only speak for myself, but how much healing comes from even some of those simple things. Because I feel like what what feels true to me is the reason these things keep coming up, and when they come up strong, it's usually really wanting my attention. So, what would happen if I just turned towards it and just worked with it a little bit, right? And noticing the more I do that. The less loud it gets, the less intense it gets in the future. And it there's just this natural kind of healing that comes from that. And it's, again, going back to witnessing, curiosity, that friendliness, that open, you know, and yeah, I just think it's really powerful work that I think anybody, no matter what their role, even if they're, you know, a parent or a spouse, um, you work in an organization, anyone can really do this work. And it just feels like I- a healing journey.
0: I totally agree. I totally agree. I love how you stayed it, you know, and you're a coach and I'm a therapist. So I, mm-hmm. I um, people come to me to do deep dives into, you know, a lot a lot of the roots. But there's a way in which you're as a coach, you're you're guiding and directing people to look at the roots, but also to just get curious and stay with it and work with it. And yay, I love that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I love it too. And I feel like my parts work have helped me a lot because I always call it kind of that second, we call it second channel communication. But when I'm in a session, right, are you noticing your own parts that are coming up and you can hear the other dialogue that's going on? And it's kind of wild, actually, in the beginning, you're like, whoa, Like, how can I stay in this conversation while there's this other conversation? I think it's a real kind of, it's a process to figure that out, how to kind of manage that in the moment, but also stay very present. And connected to personally like, and I know you probably experience this too in therapy as well um I
0: think it's, it's uh, tricky being present to you know knowing your role and I think there are of course um yeah of course I have I mean it's like yeah but there is sort of uh, an energy of self that is shared in the room when I'm in self and really connected and paying attention That there is a, um, it's a, it's, I don't know if it's an open channel for energy or I become an open channel for a lot of stuff. I don't know what, how to call it, but yes, I have experienced it. And that's the gift of doing what we do. You know, that's a real gift. Yeah. 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 And,
2: yeah. And you can do it really well by, you know, the more that we work with our parts, the more we kind of do that work, it helps create that space for you to be present. So I appreciate your time today. I mean I, I think um I've learned I always learned so much from you and I, I love hearing about the work and I wanted to leave you if you have any last thoughts or anything you want to share
0: with the listeners about IFS. It's pretty it's a very powerful uh, modality of therapy and coaching. And um yeah I I'm really blessed to and happy that I came across it and I'm able to share it in the work and use it as work for myself as well as clients. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of wonderful stuff out there. IFS is one of them.
2: Yeah. And we'll definitely, I'll make sure to link it in the show notes, more information if anybody's interested and how to find some of those resources that you were talking about. Um, So thank you, Susan. I really appreciate your time today and having this conversation and Sharing all of your lovely wisdom with the the
0: listeners thank you. It was a pleasure, and a treat to be here with you in particular oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it.